Now you can purchase and print your gift certificates online. Just go to yuckyucks.com and click on gift certificates. That's right. Purchase and print your gift certificates online by just going to yuckyucks.com and clicking on gift certificates. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com Twitter. and follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. You're listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy. I don't think so. What? What? Welcome to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. With your host, Jake Hirsch. What's going on, my little yuckamaniacs? This is your host, Jake Hirsch, and I want to thank you for joining us on another amazing episode of the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. We've got a great show for you lined up today. Very surprising interview that I was able to get done. Um, I always get a, a big kick out of, you know, obviously meeting these fantastic headliners for the show and, you know, kind of just getting in their brain a little bit. You know, some of them have not done podcasts at all. Some of them have. Uh, but just sitting down and actually getting to know them on a deeper level than just what you see on stage is always an absolute gift for me to find out how they started, what they did, you know, who was their inspiration. Do they still get nervous on stage? That's a big question of mine. Do you still feel like, the first time you ever stepped on stage. And the reason why I asked that is because I was doing some thinking a little while ago. And first off, let me just premise this. Let me throw a little caveat in there. Um, I don't consider myself a stand-up comic, uh, an amateur stand-up, like none of that stuff. Okay. I got into broadcasting. So I, I look at myself as a host. I host shows. I interview people. That's kind of like my bread and butter. That's what I'm good at. I feel anyway. Uh, that's where I've had the most success at, maybe I should say, is hosting. But then I started thinking a little bit about it. And I started thinking to myself, okay, if I was going to host a show about, I don't know, police officers, maybe law enforcement, could I host a show never having gone out and done any type of ride-along with them before? How can I really understand what they're talking about? How can I have an appreciation for the things that they go through for life, uh, day in and day out, if I've never done it, if I've never actually experienced what they've experienced. Now, I've done a stand-up show before. I've done stand-up comedy. Um, I did like an amateur night one time, and it went over really well. But you don't ever really know if your comedy is good because usually it's, you know, you've got your friends, you've got your family there, you've got supporters, people who are going to clap either out of sheer <laughs> support or absolute sheer uh, compassion for you because your set is absolutely bombing. Now I got a really good response to my first show and I kind of got the bug to be like, ah, oh, well, you know, maybe I'm going to try this again. You know, maybe I'm going to, I'm going to go try this. So, so I didn't do it though. I, I kind of put it off, but then once this, you know, opportunity came my way for yuck yucks and, and the comedy podcast to actually go out there and meet comedians and actually sit down with them and, and talk about, some of the things that, uh, that, that they go through on the road and, you know, working in front of crowds and, and, uh, you know, people they don't know and going to different cities and new faces and all that type of stuff. I felt like, you know what? I need to do this. I need to go out and experience what they experience. Now, albeit it's not, I'm not on the road for a month, but I took a week. I took a week off and I decided to go on the road. 
I went with a good friend of mine. We went to a sold out show. We performed out, uh, we performed at a sold out show in Calgary. We did one in Kelowna. We did one in Kamloops. And then I come back and, and, uh, and, and it doesn't stop there. I got two more shows going. And one of the things that my friend told me about was, you don't really know if your comedy is good unless you do it in a room full of people you don't know. Now, the Kamloops show was the first time I've ever done stand-up in a room full of people I don't like. I'm telling you, I didn't know anybody except the guy that I came with. And, of course, the comics that he introduced me to that were going to be opening up that night uh, and the hosts and stuff like that. I was like second in. So the host went up, then the first opener, then myself, then another one, and then the headliner. And man, uh, I did actually really well. I, you know, people were coming up and, and, you know, saying I was funny and thank you and what a great show and da da da. And now I know what the hook is. Now I know what the addiction is. Now I know what it feels like to get up on stage in front of a room full of people. There's probably, I don't know, 150, 200 people there. Not bad. Not bad for, you know, my second time. And, uh, yeah. Just watch these comedians that I was on stage with just crushing it all night long. And, and you know, just, yeah, it was such an amazing experience. And now I'm addicted. Now I understand why comics go up and do what they do. And being on the road, sleeping in hotel rooms and, you know, all that type of stuff. Uh, life on the road for a week. Like I said, it's not a big tour. It wasn't a big tour. It was just a few shows. Uh, but at least I'm trying to understand where they're coming from and get more of an appreciation for the art more appreciation for the craft, more appreciation for just what they do in general, the preparation, the nerves, you know, the promoting part. You got to get out there, shake hands, talk to people, tell them that you're in town, tell them that you're doing a comedy show. I know promoters like that. Anyway, I just wanted to share that experience with you because it was a big thing for me. And, you know, being around such great talent every week and sitting down and interviewing with them, uh, I'm not going to lie, it's humbling. It's, uh, it's, it's very jaw dropping. It's very awe inspiring. And honestly, I, I wouldn't rather be doing anything else. Being around such gifted and talented people has been a dream of mine. And I'm hoping that some of that rubs off on me. This week, we got Rebecca Kohler on the show. Absolute gem. Such a fascinating person. Check out this interview that we're about to do. Uh, I was able to go down and visit her at, of course, Calgary Yuck Yucks at the Elbow River Casino. And uh, again, thank you to them for always uh, giving me the best hospitality down there. Scott, Angie, all the staff down there are just wonderful. And uh, this is a really fascinating interview. So put on your seatbelts. Quit picking your nose. Grab a cup of coffee. Let's go chat with Rebecca Kohler. All over town Strictly bitch you don't play around Cover much ground Got game by the town my guest today is just not another pretty face. She's an accomplished actor, writer, and one of the Canada's brightest stand-up comedians. With her witty humor, insight on jokes, and great ability to adapt her observational humor to the stage that resonates with her audiences wherever she performs. If that doesn't impress you enough, how about being one of Just for Laughs' staple performers, writing for This Hour Has 22 Minutes, The Ron James Show, and of course, haven't been seen on The Debaters, Comedy Now, Video on Trial, and The John Door Show. It's an absolute honor to be sitting here live backstage at Calgary Yuck Yucks with the amazing Rebecca Kohler. 
Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Was that a good intro? Is that all right? I, I think, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, right? yeah. Most of it was true. So that's good. It's <laughs> a good start. Oh, well, uh, I, I know you're, you've got, uh, you're, you're on the tail end now. This is like the, this is the last night of uh, performing. Yes. Um, I agree. Are you usually pretty, uh, pretty wound down? Is you pretty tired entering your last night of uh, doing, is it, or is, are you pretty used to it? Uh, I guess I'm used to it, but also tired. Uh, yeah. I think, especially uh, you're sleeping in a bed that's not your own bed. And right. I already have like weird sleep issues sometimes. So I'm a little tired, but I'm yeah. okay. You're good? Yeah. And what's that like, though? I mean, just traveling all the time, right? You're, yeah. you're constantly performing all over the place. Uh, yeah. Uh, it is uh, fun and also a real pain in the ass. Is it? Yeah, and I actually recently decided I'm going to invest in duplicate, like, beauty products and brushes and, like, every, like a whole kit that I just have in my suitcase. That That's I, a good idea. Yeah, because it's such... I always forget something, and then I have to buy one in the city and... Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, yeah, I think it would just be better to have double of what I need to take with me. That's like that's a, actually a brilliant idea. Because wherever you, it, it's, uh, I've, I've, you ever heard of a turnkey house before? A turnkey house? Yeah. Is that no, it's like a, a celebrity? celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. Uh, no. Uh, turnkey house is what celebrities do. So, like, if uh, if, if you're, I don't know, uh, Matthew McConaughey or whatever. You got a house in like Austin, Texas. You got yeah. a house in Europe. You got a house. So what uh, some eccentric people do is, uh, since they travel so much, they put it's the same like layout of the house because oh. like I, I heard this from uh, back in the day. I delivered a refrigerator to John Madden from NFL Football one okay. time, and I went into his house, and the guy was telling me that he's got like four houses all across the United States, and they're all the same layout. Exactly. So wherever he layout. goes. He knows where, where the bathroom is, is, the kitchen is. He never has to wonder. Mm. So I'm thinking if you do something like a turnkey suitcase. I could have a turnkey suitcase. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. Thank you. And I was here for the moment of inspiration. So yes. we got to take double credit for this. Yeah, okay. Fair okay. enough. Okay. <laughs> I'll give it to you. But no money. <laughs> no money. Okay. Uh, okay. So before we jump too far into things, yes. let's go back. Okay. Your dad was a foreign diplomat. Yes. Born in Brazil. I was born in Brazil. You were born in Brazil. Yes. Right. My dad uh, was born in Ottawa. Ottawa. Yeah. It, tell me about this fascinating childhood. Um, well, it was fascinating. It was also uh, difficult at times right. uh, because we had to move every three or four years. That much? Yeah. And wow. uh, so it was amazing. Like, I, I got to do a lot of traveling and I got to see a lot of places. Um, and a lot of people love, you know, would, would have loved that. And I, I would not um, throw it away or right. change it but it's just hard as a kid having to change schools every few years i was gonna say like that that, that must be tough moving around like where else did did you live i was born in brazil then we lived in romania uh during uh communism no way oh yes i don't remember much i'll be right. honest but i have some memories that my first memories are from romania and they're really dark they're like a scene out of like rosemary's baby or something. <laughs> uh, without the devil um <laughs> And uh, then we moved back to Canada, then we moved to Thailand, then we moved back to Canada, then we moved to France, then we moved back to Canada. No way. Yeah, and Canada was always the hardest country to move to. Really? Like just as far as like adapting to like a new school and friends and stuff like that? Why is that? Canadian kids didn't understand like where I had been or why I had been away. Right. Uh, so I was weird to them. Right. But when you go to a school where everyone is from away. Right. Then you blend in. They kind of get it. Yeah. 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 And so, did you ever live in Bangkok? Yes, three I years. I saw that somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? 
Uh, that was amazing. Was it? Yeah, I was just a kid, but uh, I remember everything. It was like wow. I was like eight, nine, and ten years old, and um, yeah, it was fascinating and hot and smelly <laughs> and uh, culturally like so different. Really? Yeah, it was fa- it was fantastic. So, did, have you ever gone back as an adult? To I haven't. Uh, my brother has, right? Um, and my parents have been back a couple times. I have not yet, but I would like to. Right. A part of me is like scared too. Um, Like for instance, that we lived in Paris for two years when I was a teenager, and that was like the best two years of my life. Right. And then I went back to Paris uh, by myself on a vacation a few years ago, and it was like the worst four days of my life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nothing like you. No, I think I was trying to revisit like these memories, but I was by myself, and also the French are jerks. Uh, I don't care. Uh, That's yeah. All the French listeners out there. Sons of um, bitches. No, they, they love making other people feel dumb. Like shit, I'm really? totally stereotyping, but I'll just put it this way. All the waiters I had that trip and the guy that... The concierge at my hotel was a jerk. Really? Yeah, and I just felt like... So, yeah, in a way, it's it's nerve-wracking to go back to those places because you don't want to, like, step on your memories. Right, right. Yeah, ruin whatever you had locked up in there. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, okay, tell me how you got involved in comedy. I mean, were you, like, a performer as a kid? Were you always, like, cracking jokes at the... I was a loud mouth. Were you? I was, ob- I was obnoxious. Were you like a pain in the ass though? I like, think were I, you, a bit. Your parents have to... No, I was very... I was always very afraid of authority. And right. um, and I was like a brown noser at school. I really liked school. Right. Um, so, but I was loud and I think I was kind of funny. Right. Uh, and like a performer. <laughs> so it was like a weird uh, mix of being loud but also being obedient. Right, right. So I wouldn't say until I was like... 16 or 17 did I give my parents any trouble yeah I was like like perfect kid right um to a degree um and but yeah I was I I did enjoy being fun. I remember making my brother and my dad laugh once right when I was like 10 years old and I was like oh I want to do that that gave you a special feeling yeah. like yeah 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 for sure that was like a hook for yeah. sure yeah wow and so and then I just thought I always talked about wanting to try stand up and I think a lot of people are like yeah yeah but you'll never do it <laughs> right and then I did it what was that defining moment like? I mean, because I've, I've been in that position before mm-hmm. where you go up, and I don't think I remember anything about my first set. I don't remember. All I remember, it was it, it seemed like it was a dream. Yeah. It was kind of hazy. Yeah, it's like a weird autopilot. Right. Like, yeah. I couldn't really focus on anybody, clearly. Yeah. It was just kind of over the room and looking around. Was that pretty similar to your Very experience? Very similar. Uh, I remember... I remember being on stage. It's like a weird seven minutes that's condensed into, like, of a seven second memory. Right. So I remember being on stage. I remember people laughing. Uh, and I remember that because I just remember being thrilled. So I remember thinking, okay, I'm not awful. I'm not bombing. At this. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then I, I was supposed to do five minutes. I did seven. And I remember hearing, <laughs> and it was the host at the side of Giving the stage. Giving you the, the, like, the snaps, his fingers, right? Like, Get out. Get off. <laughs> You're like, I got this. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, because I'm killing, and you're jealous. Um, anyway, so yeah, but I just remember knowing that I didn't bomb, and it was like I was on such a high. Were Were you really like disciplined before you did it? Like, were you like writing jokes? Were you or you were you just like I'm just gonna go over there and wing it? Uh, oh no, no, no! I knew exactly what I was going to say. You had it all set up. Yeah, and. I had a friend, my friend Elizabeth, uh, helped me practice, right. and uh, we watched the night before. 
We watched. I told you, like I was kind of a nerd, right? And I watched the movie Punchline. Oh, with Tom, with Hanks. Tom Hanks and Sally Field, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. night before my first show, so like crap, <laughs> right? Um, and yeah, my jokes. I remember a couple of them, but they weren't really jokes. They were kind of observations that mm-hmm. I told, I guess, kind of charmingly, right? And I guess people liked it. Yeah, but yeah. Were you hooked at that moment? You knew right there. I remember uh, Tim Rabnett, who's an excellent uh, comedian. Right. Uh, he was there. This was in Montreal. That's where I started doing stand-up right. at the old comedy nest that was in the Novotel. Right. And uh, I got off stage, and Tim Rabnett was there, and he came up to me. He was like, that was really great for a first time. Right. And I was like, how long have you been doing it? And I think he told me, it's like a couple of years or something. Right. And I thought to myself, oh, my God. Like... <laughs> you're still in Montreal. <laughs> like I'm going to be famous in two weeks. Like I really thought there'd be a couple more shows. Someone would see me and right. I would be in Hollywood and I'm out in like, I'm ready weeks. to do it. Yeah. 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 I had that same feeling when I walk, it's a very, uh, it's a real shitty thing to do. <laughs> Isn't it to yourself? Like That's I walked so off depressing. thinking I'm ready for like an HBO special. Yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I've got enough for an hour. Yeah. I can do this. Oh my God. One of my biggest pet peeves as a comic is a, is a talking to a comedian who's been doing stand-up for, like, even less than, you know, like, two years, even less than three, and they're like, I have an hour. Right. I'm like, I'm sure you can talk for an hour. <laughs> right. But you have a good Solid hour? hour, yeah. Because that's hard. It takes a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, and, and you mentioned observational comedy, but... Uh, y- which is obviously you do a lot of observational comedy, but you do a lot of personal comedy too. Yes, it's usually quite personal. Yeah, do you find pulling from your life experiences helps you a little bit more relatable to the audience? Is that well? I think um, you know. I don't think you can fail going with the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, of course you can. You can just be not funny. Right. Uh, but I feel like if you're connected to a story, automatically you have a leg up. Right. I also like another pet peeve of mine watching other comics is when I don't believe your story. Right. Uh, and I'm not engaged with this. I don't care about it because I don't think it's true. Right. So if you, if, if I'm telling a real story, I think people, uh, know that deep, like somewhere you can spot. If yeah. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And also, uh, I think there's something, well, if you could hear that, somebody died outside. Um, we'll go check out on yeah, the break. Yeah. <laughs> I think a refrigerator fell. We need another beer. But, um, yeah, I think people clue in. Oh, yeah, but if you're sharing an honest experience, you know, I, I do believe comedy is all about connecting right. with people. And so if I say something and you laugh, it means you've been there, you've had this experience or a version of it. Sure. So, yeah, I think the more honest you are, the better. Yeah. Every parent has kind of this mindset or, or, or idea for a trajectory for a career on their child's path yes. in life. Did what happened when you told your parents like this is uh, I'm I'm going this uh, route? They uh, were concerned for sure, and they were always supportive with this. Great, (laughs) and then also they were like, "Oh my god, (laughs) this is not good." Um, And so we struggled with that for many years, and. and now they're pretty much on, like, they're on board. Right. There were a few years there where my dad would call with suggestions for other professions. Really? Yes. Um, and one day I said, please stop doing that mm-hmm. because I have trouble having faith in myself. Right. And he was just, I totally understand. Like, he was just concerned that I wouldn't be able to pay rent or, you know, make a living. 
which a lot of people can't do yeah. doing this. Yeah. So uh, he was just being smart. And I value he, uh, my parents always taught me, like, if you have a credit card, you know, always make the minimum payment. Right. Just simple, like. Life lessons. Life yeah. lessons. And I think um, that attitude of being concerned was probably good for me to be exposed to. Did you feel like you had a kind of, because I had a very similar experience as far as, and I, obviously I'm not like a seasoned comedian it's or anything. okay. But, but we can share this. <laughs> we, can, we can definitely share. Uh, but I, I, I definitely a, a very uh, common experience. Uh with my mom and who I mean like I think there comes a point in your career where you're like you kind of want some security and you want to know is it safe to buy a house is it safe to buy a car is it you know okay to have these monthly yeah. bills and she kind of always kept saying like oh well you should you know your brother's making really good money in oil and gas you should do that and I remember having that moment where I was like they can make the money I want to make people laugh yeah 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 you know what I mean yeah. or I want to make people entertained um was that, did you feel like a weight off your shoulders at all when you said that? Like when I when said you, that to my dad? Yeah, like were you kind of like, listen, this is my path and I'm cool with this. Yeah, I think that was a bit of a breaking point. And he realized like, oh, I just, I think he got perspective on how he was making me feel. Right. Well, he was just trying to be helpful. Then right. he was like, oh, I see. When I do that, you think it's because I think you are not good at this. Right. When really you could be the best at be, it. Yeah, and, I just want to make sure you're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was a good moment. And I know if my dad heard this, he'd be very upset. You think um, so? Yeah, I think so. Because he I doesn't dad. know that. <laughs> no, he knows. We've talked about it. Right. That's why, like, uh, yeah, we've talked about that moment. Yeah. And he still feels bad about it. Right. So, um, but yeah. It's I, tough I, for parents, I, I think, too, For though. sure. Yeah. I know. I mean, you know, uh, it is irritating. My life is irritating. It's not yeah. stable. And you don't know, is it safe to buy a car? Sure. Is it safe to... Uh, well, I can't buy a house, right? right so, right. yeah, it's fr- like my dad was onto something. It's annoying. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you're so diversified in your work. You've done uh, obviously acting, writing, mm-hmm. stand up comedy, both sides of the camera. Yeah. What uh, What makes you happiest? That's a really good question. Yeah. And it's something that uh, as I get older and deeper into this, I've come face to face with more, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Um, because writing, especially in Canada, where there isn't that much going on, right. writing is a good way to make money. And I think I'm okay at it. I'm good at it. Uh, especially if I'm like interested in the show. Right. Uh, but it's, I probably shouldn't say this. Uh, That's okay. Like I don't, it's, it's, it's not my first love. Right. And when I get a writing job, it's like, great, I have a job. Right. But it feels like a job. Um, whereas performing always feels like fun. Right. Like, don't get me wrong. For sure, traveling and going to like a weird, um, uh, what, what, like corporate gig in right. the middle of nowhere. Like, that also feels like a job. Sure. But once you get on stage and that, there is something about the live performance that there, nothing can replace it. Right. Um, whereas with writing, it can just feel like a slog. Yeah, you know. Does, do you do you ever feel the uh, the pressure with writing to like I, I need to be funny right now? Yes, all the it's time. It's awful sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because sometimes I, and again with there's uh, with a crowd. I mean, obviously you can just have a bad show and the audience is bad, but at least there's an energy you're working with something. Mm-hmm. You always have something to work with, whether it's good or bad. Whereas writing, sometimes all you have to work with is the computer screen, right? Like, and your psyche, yeah, that is often going like, yeah, you can't do this. Why don't you just like watch Netflix? You're like, kill yourself. Uh, so, because those are about the same, yeah. Like, 
terms it's of that options. moment where the Netflix is off and then you see yourself in the black screen before yeah. the next episode starts and you yeah. just reevaluate your life a little totally. bit. Totally. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, I have what that have I become? often. <laughs> I have it every night. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Speaking of, of uh, you know, like writing in, mm-hmm. in, in those markets like Toronto and stuff like that, uh, historically, a lot of people that have been writers or stand-up comics or whatever, they get a bite of success. Yeah. They hightail it to L.A. Yeah. or New York, like a bigger market. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get that to where you just wanted to go and, and see if you can cut Oh, I have it right now. Teeth? Yeah. Yeah, and because uh, like a couple years ago, I got an American agent. Right, right. So then I started the process of getting papers to be able to perform and live in the States. Right. I have those papers. I just got them. Right. It took me quite a long time. Yeah. And... Um, so I'm actually heading to LA hopefully this uh, August. Nice. But then, for instance, then a, a job prospect came up, right? And uh, I had to have a conversation with my agent uh, where I was like, "Jobs are good, but I gotta get out of here. Like I've right. got to go." There's always gonna be something that pops up. There's always gonna be something. Some opportunity, um, yeah. Yeah, and so when do you cut the cord? And right. and and but then the, that's the other thing with LA. Like I remember being at. My uh, talking to my lawyer once mm-hmm. uh, we had a meeting and he was like so uh, you have a boyfriend here are you going to marry him you're going to marry him later like uh, are, do you have a job in the states when are you going to the states do you want to apply this way do you have another v-? like he had all oh. these questions and I just burst into tears right and he was like oh oh uh, oh uh, um and I was like, dude, like, this is my life. Yeah. Like, uh, and people talk about, like, yeah, I'm headed to L.A. And it's nonchalantly easy, crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, and I don't know if deep down they're also scared and right. stressed out. Uh, but often I'm like, how, are, how is that your attitude? Like, yeah. this is, you're, it's exciting, but it's also your life. And it's. It's monumental. It's huge. It's huge. And also it's terrifying because there's a good chance nothing will happen there. Right. I know super talented people that have lived there for years that. You know, stuff has happened, but they're not, uh, yeah. quote unquote, famous right. or, or financially stable. Yeah, I was having a conversation with uh, Ronald Funches mm-hmm. from uh, NBC's Undateable or whatever uh, last week, and we talked about this where he was killing it, he was crushing it in Portland, wherever he was at, yeah. and uh, he said, "Like, I went to LA, and you're 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 really reminded quickly where you are on the totem pole as far as." You know, I'm kind of a latecomer in the game, right. coming to L.A. Everybody, I mean, I'm from L.A. I okay. was born and raised oh, out there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, like, nobody there is doing what they're actually doing. So, it's like you right. can say, uh, you know, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a director, a writer. Yeah. I'm working at Denny's right now. Yeah. But that's what I do, right? No, I and know, so, yeah. uh, it is it is a very scary thing to go out there and cut your teeth with yeah. with people that are, I mean, you're you're up on stage with people who are... I mean, you know, they get bumped easily. I mean, I, oh yeah, I, every time I've done the improv of, I haven't been bumped, but like they'll be like, uh, yeah, Nick Kroll's just gonna go on right before you. <laughs> and then last time I was there, they're like, David Spade just dropped in, so he's either gonna go on right before or right after you. Which is like a total setup. I mean, yeah. it's oh yeah. But luckily, David tough. Spade went on after me, and then I was thrilled because he watched my set and referenced it right. in his no set. Way. So I felt very excited. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So yeah, and there is something like. Or, yeah, there was another show. It wasn't like, um, it was an independent show. Right. Uh, it was uh, Power Violence, which okay. I don't know if they're still doing, but it was a super great show. And I think I was supposed to go on third, and I was waiting, and every act, they came backstage, and they were like, okay, so Tignatero just showed up, so she's just going to go on? And that happened like six <laughs> times. I think I ended up going on like 10. No way. And they were really nice, and like, I, whatever, it was still a thrill to be on the show. Oh, and yeah. It was still a good set, but. 
Yeah, no, that could I be mean, pretty. there's yeah. heavy hitters. But that's what I find exciting about the place, too. Right. Because you do do a show with famous people or, like, very people you respect, people you look up to, people you've heard about for, you know, your entire career. Sure. And sometimes, you know, you do just as well as them. Right. And you feel like, you know, yes, this is... Uh, does that motivate you? Or yes. does that... It does. Yes. I mean, I kind of look at it, uh, comedy in a lot of ways, kind of, kind of like uh, like martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can either be the instructor and you can be great at what you do and you can go in and teach class every night. But every once in a while, you got to go train with people who are going to kick your ass right. and make you better. Yes. You find that? Like, oh, that's- my God. Like, And this is... Uh, Canada is amazing. We have a lot of amazing talent. Mm-hmm. I don't find it's necessarily curated to its best ability right. all the time. Right. Um, like, I remember going to uh, New York City a couple uh, years ago... And I went to... I was by myself, and I went to the Comedy Cellar. Because um, I'd never been, and right. I, I, I wasn't performing on the trip. Anyway, so I went as a, you know, a, a, an average Joe, Joette. Right. And I hate sitting in comedy clubs and watching stand-up. I've been doing this such a long time. Right. I never laugh anymore. I don't like being stuck in the audience. Anyway, I go to the Comedy Cellar. I sit down. I proceed to watch, like, an hour and a half of the best stand-up comedy I have seen Really? In a row in years. No way. I was laughing. Like, I forgot I was a stand-up comic. Wow. Like, I'm exaggerating. But it was just excellent. But, uh, yeah. And then I went a couple nights later. I didn't know what to do. And I was like, I guess I'll go back to the comedy cellar. And I saw four other people, like, tear the roof off. Right. And, yes, that's inspiring. And, like, I want to be good like this. Right. I don't want to be, like, good enough to be on the show tonight. Like, yeah. if that makes yeah, any yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. And so... This is my own uh, problem, but uh, sometimes I don't feel super motivated mm-hmm. in Canada. Right. I hope I'm not getting any. You're blacklisted out every club. Probably. <laughs> no, there's so many great. We're great, but there's also guys. We could be better, including me. What is that though? Because I, I had this conversation with Mark uh, Breslin. Mm-hmm. Yuck yucks, obviously, and yeah. and uh, he he said a very interesting thing. He said that. Uh, people who started off being very edgy, very ground-breaking, and, and really breaking the roof off of places, uh, in, in his words, tend to get their balls cut off when they take jobs at CBC or they do stuff like that. Where That is true. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think uh, one of the analogies he used was, uh, like, Rick Mercer used to tear politicians apart. Uh, now he golfs with them, right? So yes. there's a very different uh, take on... There's kind of a safety net here. Absolutely. There's kind of a, yeah, and, and... But... We don't have John Stewart's. We don't have uh, no, Stephen Colbert's and stuff like that. Why is that? Though? Oh my God! I don't know. It drives me nuts. Isn't that because there's a lot? There's uh, the talent pool. As I've interviewed more people here in Canada, the talent pool is is so deep. It is, and it's, it's amazing people and performers. But Mark's right. I think there's an attitude like so. I think it all feeds into itself. And when I wrote for Twenty Two Minutes, uh, I definitely. Like, there's definitely an atmosphere of Stephen Harper pays our bills. Right. Uh, he pays our salary. Sure. So we can't say anything that sure. bad. Right. 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 Um, whereas, and because it's the same in England, like they really know how to, they make fun of the politicians, the royal family, right. like they take the piss. Yeah. Whereas here it's like we like gently like rub the wrong way. Yeah. Like, definitely. Um, why is it? I don't know. We're too polite. Uh, because it's not just CBC. Mm-hmm. I feel like the other networks are also uh, pretty um, 
I really don't know. I don't know what it is. But when it comes to people in Canada who are like, what can I do with my mind? Mm -hmm. And then you look at what's out there. It's not exactly... um, You're like, well, I don't have a lot of options. Right, right. It feels like there's a ceiling. Sure. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. you once said, quote, when comedians get together, the talk is about what jobs you're getting and how did you get that? And it's usually behind a tight smile. There's cutthroat competition, but we're just too polite in Canada to admit it. Tell me about your experiences with that. Uh, is it is it as cutthroat as what? Because I haven't been around that much in okay. Canada. Um, obviously, I think it's pretty cutthroat anywhere you go in any type yes. of industry. But there is that. There's some weird intrinsic feeling of someone saying, oh, I got this gig. And the person looking at you going like, is weird feeling of like, you're taking something away from me that I could have had. Or yes. it's it's a really bizarre feeling. It's like, well, you haven't been around longer than I have. You haven't done as much as I have. Yes. Uh, is it like that? Yes. Uh, and, you know, you try to convince yourself, like, I'm a bigger person. I'm really happy for that person that they got that. That's great. Good right. for you. <laughs> um, you know, uh uh, high five emoji or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but no, and I, I was just watching this documentary, um, Misery Loves Comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Kevin Pollack. Okay. It. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, they had this great clip of um, Martin Short mm-hmm. talking about being in LA, I think in like the 70s or early 80s. And he was going for dinner with Paul Schaefer and Bill Murray. Wow. And he was walking to dinner with, he was with his wife. And uh, they were walking to the restaurant, and he said, uh, stop walking. I can't go any further. And she was like, what's wrong? Are you sick? And he said, no, I just can't go any further. And she said, what are you talking about? And he said, I can't go to dinner with Paul and Bill and pretend to be happy about their success when I am lost. Wow. And it made me, Holy like, I think I teared up. That's because crazy. I've had that. Where yeah. You are, you've been trying to get things, you know, you're trying to further your career and then somebody gets something that maybe you wanted or just something that's great for them. And part of you is happy for them, but part of you is like exhausted and, um, uh, deterred by seeing this other person get this thing. And it's a horrible, toxic feeling. And you even, no matter how hard you try not to have it, I think it's it's human nature. Yeah. Uh, and the people that manage not to think that way um, are either mentally healthier than me or maybe have had better run-ins with Lady Luck. I mean, because right. I think it is talent, but it's also timing. It's also luck. It's, sure. It is like a bunch of stuff. Absolutely. You know, stand-up comedians uh, have notoriously been categorized as being tortured souls. Yes. Um, a lot of great comedians have battled with addiction, depression, even stuff like suicide. Is it cathartic for you to perform? Is it is it an outlet? Is it have you ever dealt with demons that you think that this is this is a great way for me to to kind of let my stuff out? Well, I deal with demons for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I would consider myself a mild depressive, maybe mm-hmm. not even mild right. uh, sometimes. Um, so stand up is definitely has a relationship with that uh, side of myself. I think. You know, when you have a weekend of, like, great shows, you feel better. Like, right. uh, for sure. And uh, the adrenaline is good and uh, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know. Like, I certainly have never been like, I'm depressed. I've got to go and do a set. Then I'll feel better. <laughs> it's the opposite. Right, like, if I'm right. depressed, I'm probably like, I don't want to go and do the set. Right. Um, so, 
that said, once you do do a set and it goes well, maybe you feel better. And and I do think there's something to comedians and depression. Then again, I think it was Bill Burr said once, I think it was him, that everyone's depressed. It just looks like a bigger... Um, uh, juxtaposition when it's a comedian right. or a clown. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A lot of people steer away from stand-up because of the immediate crowd responses of either bombing or, or hitting home runs. You seem really natural, though, in your stand-up. Is that something that you formed over the years, or have you always felt pretty comfortable up on stage? Oh, um, that's a good question. I mean, I think... I've become a bit more conversational since I started. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely used to like write things out more and know what I was going to say. Right. And I think I even I think once I was up for some like CBC thing. This is like in the first couple of years that I started, and my friend was waitressing in the club, and she overheard the CBC executives talking after the show, and somebody said, "She's good, but she sounds too scripted." And I think there was something that was very planned when I first started. Right. Uh, and <laughs> I've loosened up. But almost that might have gone too far in terms of I, I definitely I, I like to write on stage. Mm-hmm. So I'll think of like, oh, I think I want to make a joke about this. And I'll think of a kernel and then I'll work it out out loud. Right. And sometimes maybe that's um, being lazy. Right. I, I could probably sit down and think about it a bit before I got on stage. Right. Yeah. Are you observational as in you see something or you think of something in a conversation that's funny and you whip out your phone and you write a note? Uh, I also got lazy at that. Did you? I I do. No, I do try to make notes, but I I don't write as many notes as I should. I I lose jokes all the time because I don't write them down. Right. Um, But yeah, I'll see something happen or I'll have a conversation with someone and I'll think, oh, wait a sec. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Being a female comedian, have you found it to be pretty accepting as far as uh, going and performing with other comics, or or is it uh, well I territorial? Think, uh, territorial. What do you mean? Well, like as in, um, there's I've I've been to some places where where it seems that comedians can be very territorial about uh, this is uh, this is my town, this is my city, this is you know this is where I perform well. Um, have you ever faced any barriers like that as far as people being territorial or, you know, threatened by your success or threatened that you're a female? Oh, that's a good question. I for sure have uh, experienced probably all of those things mm-hmm. at some time. Um, I think, I mean, I started doing stand-up in Montreal, which is a smaller community, and it was definitely more friendly and more um, open uh, than Toronto, mm-hmm. at least when I so when I started in Montreal, every people came out to me. That was great, uh, right. good for you. You know, we hope to see you out again. Everyone knew everyone's name. It's a smaller town. Sure. Then I moved to Toronto and I found it very cold. And uh, I remember approaching a circle of comics who were like smoking a joint or something and saying like hi, and nobody really said hi to me. And right. and I was like, oh, this is how it is here. <laughs> and it's not like now. It's interesting, too, in Toronto because the alternative scene has melded a bit with the yuck yuck scene mm-hmm. um, or the quote-unquote club scene, less sure. alternative. Uh, and so it is actually a pretty friendly town now, right, I think. Right. It's gotten better. Um, and also, when I first started doing stand-up, uh, I I just wrote about this in my... I do a column for Metro. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, saw, I read some of your articles. Yeah, yeah and uh, when I started, I would hear people say, oh, no, a woman, when I got on stage. Really? Or when my name was called out. Yeah. 
So, and I never hear that anymore. Yeah. Uh, so things have gotten better in the world too. When you think of inspiration, when you think of people that have come before you that you would love to emulate or that you love their comedy or success or whatever, who do you think of? Do you think of a man? Do you think of a woman? Do you think of people like Elaine Boozler? Do you think of Roseanne Barr? Do you think of Louis C.K.? I think, think a bit of Louis. I think a bit of Roseanne. Uh-huh. I think a bit of Ellen. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah Silverman. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Louis, I think of often because I'm also a genius. Right. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you guys should work together. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. you guys I'm should hit it off very Louis. well. Yes. Um, no, but I think of him often because I remember when I started um, seeing him. Like, so I started watching him like 15 years ago mm-hmm. at like Just for Laughs or whatever. Right. Uh, and. I remember him saying something like, you're not a good comic until you've been doing it for 20 years. Right. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's dumb. And, uh, but as I've, you know, continued to do it and I'm at 15 years, uh, it kind of makes me feel better to know that that's what he thought. And that's because he kind of hit his stride at 20 years. Right. right. So, um, that is a discouraging thing. And I, I think that's where like Canada versus the States comes in. Like, sure. Um, sometimes I'll look at, you know, who's big in the States and I'll watch their comedy specials and I'm like, they're fine, but I could do that. Sure. And I think part of the reason I don't have a Netflix special is because I'm Canadian. Right. And I'm not saying for sure I would have one if I was American. I just think there are different opportunities available. For sure. And uh, sometimes it's discouraging. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You had the opportunity to uh, do something a lot of people haven't been able to do. Um, if I remember correctly, I interviewed a guy named Aaron Berg. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think you guys went on a trip. That's correct. To Israel. Yes. Tell me about that. Oh, it was amazing. Uh, I really, uh, like, I like history. I'm a history buff. Well, to a degree. Right. Um, so Jerusalem to me is just like, it's amazing. I don't, right. I don't even, I'm not even religious, but right. you can't deny the history that, is there so I just I felt like I was a very like alive um, and doing stand up there was uh, what was it like it was really interesting I mean what's funny is people are like what was it like and at the end of the day it's like anywhere else right uh, people are people some uh, one show a bunch of people were offended because a bunch of those people were I think quite conservative orthodox or something yeah, yeah. Yeah. The same thing would happen if we went to um, a church here or right. a synagogue here, you know. Um, so that's not shocking. Right. Uh, and I actually have a joke about um, being uh, people trying to be too politically correct and uh, somebody saying Jew and then somebody else saying, don't, don't you mean Christianly challenged? <laughs> and... It's one of my oldest jokes, and like I, I've told when I tell it in Canada, often people are like, "Ooh," and I told it in in Israel, and it got the best reaction <laughs> ever. You're like the Jews signed off on this; it's yes, all good. The yeah. Jews are into it. So and anyway. you're not religious at all. No, no. I would say. Were you no. raised like that at all? Uh, we were raised uh, Anglican. Okay. But um, my parents are atheists. They just brought us to church so that we would learn not to steal and murder. <laughs> I think as long as you got the basics down, yeah, you're good. Yeah. Well, no, and I guess they wanted us to see for ourselves, and um, we might have gone for longer, but we moved to Thailand, and they didn't Everything care enough to like, find a church. <laughs> they could have. All right. Last thing I'm going to do with you here, mm-hmm. I'm going to do a little word association with you. Okay. Just three. Okay. Uh, I'm going to throw them out, and you tell me what comes to mind. Here. Okay. Uh, one of them you mentioned earlier, the comedy nest. Okay. What do you think of when I say the comedy nest? 
What do I think of? Yeah. Well, what I does that think mean of you? it's the first place I ever did stand up. I also think uh, it moved so many times. Uh, it's like part of my comedic history, right. my personal comedic history. Uh, I remember Ernie Butler gave me some uh, some of my first breaks. Like he put me on Comedy Night in Canada during Just for Laughs. He gave me good advice, um, and I was just getting to know him when I moved and when he got sick, wow. which makes me sad. Yeah, yeah. Concordia University was that the second one? Yeah, I went there. Uh, I only went for a year. Right. Um, what did you take? I went for English and history, which was too. It was too much reading. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> It was, it was like, you know, 100 pages a night or something. No you know? way. Yeah, so it was really discouraging. So uh, while I was supposed to be doing English and history homework, I started um, playing with Photoshop, like right. downloaded Photoshop and learned how to use it. And I told my parents I want to be a graphic designer. So then I went, I dropped out of, well, I finished a year at Concordia and then I went to college for graphic design where I got a diploma. And right. graphic design fueled my stand-up career for like eight years. No way. Yeah. Wow. So you're pretty handy with... Uh, yeah, if you need posters, designers. business cards, give me a call. Yeah, we'll give you a shout out on the yeah. Twitter and stuff to make sure you get some business that okay, way. Great. But uh, last one. Uh, this is fun fact about you, but what does the name Jon Snow mean to you? Are you up to date on uh, Game of Thrones? Well, uh, I know who Jon Snow is, but I've only seen like the first one and a half seasons of Game of Thrones. How, how can you only have seen one and a half? I know. I can't remember what happened, but I got distracted, and I've been meaning to go back. I was really into Game of Thrones. Uh, like, what season are they at now? Like, They're like at season five. Oh, my God. Yeah, so you've I, got some work to do. I do have some work to do, but Jon Snow, I find him very attractive. Do you? Yeah. Did Everybody I mention I him somewhere on the I, internet? You just said you're a big Game of Thrones fan, so I just kind of figured that you would oh, know see, who Jon Snow is. Oh, see, I wrote that, yeah. I think, while I was watching it. <laughs> you haven't updated your site in a long time, no, have you? clearly. Oh, do, my do, do, God. Do, do. Oh, Jesus. All right. You can catch my guest on her website, RebeccaKohler.com, which hasn't been updated. But, uh, yes, I will. I will. It's a great site, though. Well, thank you. It's great. Thank yeah. you very much. And, of course, on Twitter, at Becca underscore Kohler.com. We'll be sure to uh, put up all the links for that on the great. website. And, thank uh, hey, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. It was great. Had a great time. Fun chat. Absolutely. And uh, you're going to go out there and crush it tonight. going to crush it. Two Amen. shows. All right. Okay. All right, there you have it, the wonderful and talented Miss Rebecca Kohler. Go check her out. We'll have the links up on the site. Hope you guys enjoyed this interview as much as I did doing it. On behalf of myself, Mr. Mark Breslin, Kira Williams, Fatima Muhammad. Of course, I cannot forget my good pal, Camille, and all the wonderful people at Yuck Yucks for making this podcast possible. And until next week, stay tuned, my little yucca maniacs. We'll see you then.